Thank you, band. I think I'm going to preach sitting down this morning. Is that okay with y'all? Can y'all see me back there? Some people can't see me. That's why they clapped. Like, no. Um, You can hear me. That's good enough. This morning, we're going to finish up the book of Galatians. If you want to turn, turn there in your copy of God's Word, Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 6. This series called Free finishes today, but our freedom doesn't finish today. The title of the message is Free to Live. Galatians 6, 6 through 18. I had a I had a really, really, really hard time prepping this message this week. Um, and maybe more about that later, but when you're, when you're trying to preach, when you're trying to prepare a message, you, you really want to hear from God. You want to, you need to hear from God. You got to hear from God. And so... I was looking at this passage and just blank, blanking out all week when I was studying it until Wednesday at about three, I got some traction from God. And uh, I'm thankful (laughs) because Wednesday at three is extremely late for me to start having some traction on a message. I like to be done at like Tuesday at four. But I just started Wednesday at, at 3 or 4 sometime. But I think it's some things that we, we really need to hear. And I'm excited about it. I'm excited about what's coming next. I'm going to finish up Galatians today. And then after that, we're planning to preach on the life of King David in the Old Testament. Uh, just some... Incredible stories about a man who God called a man after his own heart. Um, I think there's a lot to learn from a guy that's called a man after God's own heart. I hope the bridge becomes a church after God's own heart. Um, So we're going to start that journey, and that, that may even take us to Christmas. I don't know. But we'll be in the Old Testament for a while after this. We're going to start in verse 6 today. Let the one who is taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. So that was kind of my first blank right there because that's kind of awkward. Um, If you were to ask or if somebody were to ask you who's who's the teacher, who's the preacher, at the Bridge Church, you would probably say me. Um, and so that was kind of an awkward start. What do I do with that? Like, hey, just, I mean, y'all give me stuff. Good stuff, you know. I want to I kind of set me to the side. And I want to talk to you about the rest of our leadership. When, when you're in leadership... If you don't watch it, a lot of times you're dealing with issues 
if you've owned a business, if, you, if you've owned a restaurant, um, if you've owned um, something like that, or if you've been a boss like that, if you don't watch it, you're just constantly dealing with issues. And, and pastors and church leaders can fall into that where all, all people bring you is this, this thing's going wrong and we need you to fix it. Um, you could probably talk to Mark and Annette. They, they own Pops. And there's probably not a ton of people that make a phone call to them and are like, hey, man, my experience tonight was awesome. But if it wasn't that awesome for them, then you will hear it. You know what I mean? Like that's a lot of times what the leader is doing is, is they're putting out fires that are constantly burning. And every time I've heard this verse preached, it's gone to money. Like, you know, a preacher should get paid well. A leader should get paid well. Um, But that's not what that verse says. You know what? It says share all good things with the teacher. The one who's being taught should share all good things with the teacher. Um... I want to encourage you guys. I want us to be a church that recognizes that we are blessed. Kirk Owens is a blessing to this church. Sarah Riddle is a blessing to this church. Chris Ross is a blessing to this church. Beth is a blessing to this church. All those people that are written down Those are our band people. All those people that are written down as home group hosts, home group leaders out there on those sheets of papers. They're a blessing to this church. Our elders are a blessing to this church. Derek Wood, David Dowd, Richie Cooper, Brett Miller, they're a blessing to our church. And they don't just need to hear our issues. You with me? That's not healthy For them to just hear our issues. We need to notice the good that God is doing through them and tell them. Share all good things. The one who is being taught should share all good things with the teacher, with the leader. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not telling you to write them a check. But man, when... When Kirk blesses you, tell him. Just tell him. Um, When Sarah Riddle hunts down something for you, uh, I I don't tell her enough. She's she's a super blessing for me. Um, When I when I tell her something that needs to be done, uh, it's done. Like forever, it's done. Um. Kirk is a powerful evangelist. This church wouldn't be the same without him. He needs to be told that. Our band doesn't just need to hear the songs you would like sung. They need to be appreciated for what they are doing. Okay? We need to say that. Our elders don't need to just hear your issues. They need to hear your encouragement as well. It's part of being a family. It's part of life together. 
Let's move on. Verses 7 through 10 have a divine law in them. Don't be deceived. Now that statement, don't be deceived, it's not don't be deceived later on, but Paul was telling them, stop being deceived. You are being deceived, now stop being deceived. He's not saying, don't let yourself be deceived. He's saying, you are, now stop it. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. You know, we really do reap what we sow. I don't know of any farmers that planted beans expecting rice to come up. You reap what you sow. Sometimes we don't like it. Sometimes we blame God for what we sow when it's exactly what we, I mean, for what we reap when it's exactly what we sowed. You sow to the flesh, you're going to reap that harvest. You sow to the Spirit, and you're going to reap that harvest. I don't know how much any of y'all know about farming. Uh, does the word pigweed like register with you? I mean, everybody's heard of a pigweed, right? They are sorry. And man, we had some really good pigweed ground. Like we had some ground that would make some pigweeds. I'm talking about you could take a chainsaw out there and cut them suckers down, get you some Christmas ornaments, and you got a Christmas tree. Um, bushed out, and they've got these millions of tiny seeds in them that if you don't get that plant out, I mean, it's fixing to just <laughs> sow a bunch of pigweeds out there when it dries up. And you know what we had to do for our ground to produce pigweeds? Nothing. But for our ground to produce a good crop of rice or beans or milo, we had to work it. We had to plant it. We had to water it. We had to fertilize it. We had to spray it. We had to focus on it. Now, to produce pigweeds, we can produce pigweeds by just not going out to the field. But to produce a good crop, we had to cultivate it and work it and do the right things, do all the things that we knew to do to produce a good crop. And then there was an element that we had to trust the Lord with because we don't make grain. He does. You can do all that you're supposed to do and it's still not produced if God's not in it. But friends, we really do in our own life, in our walk with God, we really do reap what we sow. It happens in our marriages. 
If we continue to sow seeds of bitterness and resentment and meanness and miscommunication, we will reap a broken marriage. And we might blame the other person, we might blame God, but we reap what we sow. Right? It happens among brothers. We, we, uh, some people think they're prophets, and they'll say, you know what? If we don't get this fixed... Um, this is, this is going to happen. It's going to be bad. We're going to have broken relationships, yada, yada, yada. They're not a prophet. They're sowing discord in the moment. They are sowing discord, and they're just reaping what they sowed. You know what I mean? This, is, this can break up uh, relationships among brothers and sisters. When we, when we sow discord, don't be surprised when we harvest it with broken friendships. It happens in a church. If we sow individuality, if we sow isolation, if we sow opinions, we're going to reap a church that's not going to be helpful to us or anybody else. We reap what we sow. But if we sow to the Spirit, if we sow spiritual things, meaning when, when, when Jesus tells us to do something, even if we don't understand it, we just do it. And we're in a dry season and we're not seeing much fruit produced and we're not seeing a harvest, but we don't grow tired of doing good. We just continue, whether we see fruit or not, we're going to continue to do exactly what Jesus tells us to do over and over and over again. If it's hot and we're sweating and it doesn't feel right right now, and it doesn't feel good right now, we just continue sowing, we will reap a harvest in His time. Because you always reap what you sow. What does that mean? Man, last week were y'all blessed by, by Keith's testimony and his baptism? Man, I was. Thank you, brother. And we're, we're glad you're part of this family. Um, I'm sure I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really talk to Keith about this but I know he's comfort, comfortable with it because he shared some of it last week but Mark and Nanette stepped in with a place to stay and they gave him a place to work and that was so into the spirit He needed the gospel shared with him. He was hungry for the gospel, so Kirk presented the gospel to him. That's sowing to the Spirit. And then Keith embraces Christ, but Mark and Nanette didn't do that, and Kirk didn't do that. Jesus brought the harvest. Does that make sense to you? You do what Jesus tells you to do. Mark and Annette does what Jesus tells them to do. Kirk does what Jesus tells him to do. I do what Jesus tells me to do. You do what Jesus tells you to do. And then somehow Jesus produces a crop and we get to be a part of the harvest. Because you always reap what you sow. It is a divine law. You reap what you sow. No deed is small when it comes to the gospel. 
together, it's our, it's our role to just set the stage for Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. That's what a farmer does. A farmer sets the stage to do what only God can do. And that's our role as a church. We set the stage and Jesus brings the harvest. We reap what we sow. Verses 12 through 18, Paul moves into a, a set of verses where he starts talking about the characteristics of a cross-centered person, cross-centered people. The first thing he, he writes about is cross-centered people are, are humble and not prideful. Read these verses with me, 12 through 14. Actually, 11 through 14. Look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. Most of the time when somebody was writing a letter, they would have a scribe and they would be speaking what they wanted written and the scribe would be writing what they're saying. But at this point in the letter, Paul grabs the pen himself and he says, I'm, I'm writing in these big letters. Some people say Paul was kind of blind and that might have been why the letters were big. I, I think Paul was bolding this part. I think he was wanting them to see, hey, this is the end, we're finishing, and this is the finish line, and I want you to hear this. Look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. Those who want, want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid per, being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except for the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. So, verse 12 is kind of telling about what's going on with the whole circumcision thing. I don't know if you caught it or not, but um, not only are they trying to get these Christ followers to be circumcised... Um, just because it was false teaching. But at this point in time, the Christians were being persecuted, but guess who weren't being persecuted? The Jews. So if, if you were circumcised and you could say, I'm a Jew and not a Christian, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be persecuted. Actually, some of the persecution was flowing from the Jews. Paul was one of those that was a persecutor. So one of the, it, it kind of comes out in verse 12. Yeah, they're wanting you to be circumcised, but it's just to avoid persecution. But then there's another thing. They, they are tracking how many circumcisions they can get done to kind of put a notch in their belt. You know, we... Um, we celebrate baptisms. We celebrate when we see Jesus doing stuff. But we have to be careful because there is a line between celebrating what God is doing and kind of acting like and embracing that we're doing that. You know what I mean? What happened with Keith last week isn't because the bridge is so good but because Jesus is so incredible. You with me? And anytime we cross the line and we start pulling credit 
for what we see God doing in us, we are no longer cross-centered. We have missed the mark. Paul said, I only boast in the cross. It is my only boast that, that, I, have, that I have surrendered, that I have found myself at the cross needing Jesus. That is my boast, that He died for me. Not how many churches Paul had planted, not how many people that he had shared the gospel with, not how many people had come to Christ under his preaching, because he knew all of that was Jesus. His boast was only the cross. And for the Bridge Church, our boast can only be the cross if we're going to be cross-centered. Nothing else. It's not in our diversity. It's not in how many people are adopting or fostering. It's not in any of these things that we're doing. It's not in our baptisms. Jesus is enough for us to boast in, and we have no reason to boast in anything else. Cross-centered people are always humble, never prideful, especially about what Jesus is doing. Because he owns that. Number B. Cross-centered people treasure Jesus and not the world. If you keep reading in verse 14. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, I'm a, I, want you to, I want you to help me a minute here because I can't do this without a little bit of your participation, a little bit of your imagination. The cross to the people that were reading Paul's letter did not mean the same thing as it does to you or to me. We, we, we wear crosses around our necks. We get tattoos of crosses on our arms. We build crosses out of wood. We place crosses on our walls. We, we love the cross, and rightly so, and I'm not talking about any of that to be bad or negative. I might get a cross tattoo. Who knows? Not a tramp stamp cross tattoo, but maybe a... <laughs> I don't know why I said that, y'all. I guess it's... Um, probably not. Cross-centered. Um, to us, it's a place of hope. But even to the believers that Paul was writing to, they would never tattoo a cross on their body. They would, they would never wear a cross necklace. They would never put a cross on their wall. Why? Why? Because they had walked down the street before and they had seen somebody smoked on that cross. They smelled the smells of the cross. Can you imagine what it would be like for somebody just, just blood dripping for days? They heard the moans coming from a man on the cross. They, they heard them screaming and crying out. Just, 
help me, help me. They heard moms and dads at the foot of the cross weeping over their son that's up there suffering for no telling how long. They saw the birds come and peck out their eyes while they were on the cross. The cross wasn't pretty. The cross wasn't decoration. The cross was horrific. They saw this all the time, y'all. They probably had a family member that had experienced it. The cross wasn't fun. And so when Paul says, the world has been crucified to me, what's he saying? He's not saying, put the world up on the little decorative cross in my living room. He's saying the world, I see the world like this gross picture of the cross that I have in my mind that I've seen over and over and over again walking down the road. I have the world, the world is gross to me now. The, all the things of the world are nothing to me now. They don't matter to me now. It, it, it makes me sick to think about the world because it's crucified to me. And then he says, and I to the world. He's saying, I acknowledge that the world probably looks at me the same way. They probably look at me and they say, man, Paul used to be awesome, dude. I mean, he was, he was top top of the class uh, Pharisee. He knew all the Bible scriptures. He was killing Christians. He was holding our cloaks. I mean, he used to be a cool guy that knew a lot of stuff. But he's done got into this thing, and that dude is weird now. I don't want anything to do with him. He is crucified to me. Friends, when we live a cross-centered life, when our church is cross-centered... There are things about the world that have to be gross to us. I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about what the, what the world values. They have to be crucified. And that doesn't mean just dead. That means grossly dead. I'm abhorred by it. And we have to remember that we're probably going to get looked at the same way. We almost have to be comfortable understanding that people look at us and they say, dude's not right. Something's wrong with her. She's kind of weird. Not a jerk. Not, not that kind of person. But different. Cross-centered. Number C, cross-centered people want genuine transformation, not shallow ritual. Verse 15, for both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace come to all those who follow this standard and mercy even to the Israel of God. 
Paul's not just saying circumcision don't matter. He's saying uncircumcision don't matter either. He's saying, I'm sick of all these religious rituals out here. I don't, I don't care about the ritual. I want something deep. I want Jesus to change me from the inside to where I am a complete new man. And friends, Jesus will not change you from the inside and make you a complete new man or woman until you are able to get over the shallow rituals of religion. Cross-centered people are not looking for a religious experience where they might get a little bit better. They are looking for deep life change that comes from the inside that makes them a new creation, transforms them into the image of Christ, and it is real and genuine. That is a cross-centered man or woman. You want to play church games? That's not for me. You want to play religious ritual games? That's not for me. You give me Jesus and keep on giving me Jesus. He is enough, but I can't get enough of him. If we're going to be cross-centered, all all the ritual stuff's got to go. It has to be all about Jesus. Every day. Just all about Jesus. It's not a new niceness. It's not a new kindness. It's a new creation that we're going for. Number D. Cross-centered people want truth always and never error. Let's read verse 16 one more time. May peace come to all those who follow this standard. That word standard there is the word canon. Which is the same thing um, that, is, that describes this book. It's called the canon of scripture. K-A-N-O-N. It doesn't mean like a war canon that you fire um, balls from. It's, and we shouldn't use the Bible like that. Uh, it's a measuring stick. That's, that's the literal word. Canon is a measuring stick. So when they say the canon of Scripture, they, they're saying that this word from God is the measuring stick. And Paul uses it here. Um, in verse 16, he says, May peace come to all those who follow this standard. You follow the gospel as your standard. That's what he's saying. Don't get mixed up in things that might be error and follow the truth, the measuring stick of the gospel. And then, and then what's before that? May peace come to all those. Y'all, when we, when we are following, when we are using the gospel, when we are, we are using Jesus as our measuring stick, when we are using the scripture as our measuring stick... There's somehow this supernatural peace that comes along with it. We look weird sometimes. Sometimes the world says they are crucified to me. They're nasty. They're gross. I want no part of them. Sometimes that happens. But there is peace granted to those who just simply keep on sowing to the Spirit and do not grow tired of doing good. 
if we're going to be cross-centered people, truth and error have to matter to us. If it's true, we need to embrace it. And this is all that we know for sure is. If it's error, we don't need to tinker with it. We need to let that go. If you wallow in error, it will mess you up. And it will walk you away from the cross. Cross-centered people care about truth. The last one, number E, cross-centered people develop the scars of Jesus which lead to gentle and humble authority. Verses 17 and 18. From now on, let no one cause me trouble because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Cross-centered people develop the scars of Jesus, which lead to gentle and humble authority. Paul was saying, you know, these Judaizers, they're trying to avoid persecution. But as for me, I, I bear the scars of Christ on my body. Let me ask you something. If two people walked in that door this morning... And we were going to have one of them speak to the church. And one of them just got fresh off of their yacht. They're a believer. They just got fresh off their yacht to come to the bridge and potentially speak to us. Millions and millions and billions of dollars. Incredible money. And they walked in the door and they're, they're one of the potential people that that can speak to us. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. If you've, got a, if you've got a yacht, the giving stuff will be on the screen at the end of the service. <laughs> don't, don't miss that. But another guy walks in behind him, and he is from China. And... He's kind of got tears running down his face because he just witnessed his daughters getting kidnapped and sold into slavery because of his faith. And he watched his wife get beheaded and he spent the last 10 years in prison starving. And he's, he's, he's weeping about his faith but he's also able to praise Jesus. If you had to pick between those two who you wanted to speak to you this morning about faith, who would it be? The second one is who I want to hear from. I'm not putting down the guy with the yacht, but there's something about faith that the other guy has that I want to hear about. And what Paul is saying is, I, I have been persecuted and I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. Did you know authority comes with suffering? 
authority comes with suffering. Now, as believers, when we, when we begin to suffer, we want out of it immediately. Jesus, get me out of it. Why are you not getting me out of it? But on the other side of the suffering, you begin to speak to people that walk through the suffering too. With authority. And Paul was saying, I bear the marks of Christ. I have been persecuted. And look at what he says. Let no one cause me trouble. And then in verse 18, brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now he planted this church and they have walked away from his teaching. They've walked away from Jesus. And he is angry off and on all through the letter. But at the end of the letter, he's saying, I've been persecuted for the faith. And I'm begging Jesus to send you grace. Here's another thing that suffering does. You don't live in arrogance after you suffer. Do you hear me? When you walk through a season of suffering, you don't walk out of it saying, Man, I am awesome. Look at all you puny people. I'm like a god to you. You say, man, the only way I got on the other side of that was with the help of my king. And I believe he can help you too. I'm walking through a season right now, and I'm, I'm nervous about sharing this with you. Um... I'm not nervous about you knowing that I'm broken or about the whole world knowing that I'm broken. But I don't trust everybody with my brokenness. You know that? I don't, I don't want my brokenness to be twisted. Uh, so I'm not going to share all the details with you. Um, because I may or may not trust you. I don't know. I love you. Um... But the past eight or nine months have been some of the hardest in my life. Another reason I'm nervous about telling you this, and I want to I preface it with this too, I'm, I'm, not, I'm nervous that there will be pity, and I don't want pity. Um, I don't operate out of pity. Uh, you can pray for me, and I want you to pray for me, but... Um, I'm telling you this because Jesus told me to tell you, and I've, I've been trying to talk him out of it all week. And uh, I always lose. Um, but I've been struggling with some mental health stuff, uh, some depression and anxiety that has been somewhat paralyzing for me at times not somewhat but very paralyzing for me at times uh, I've told the elders everything been completely transparent with what's going on and the steps I'm taking to get better I know the church needs to be led by a healthy person and I, I want to do that so I'm taking all the steps I know to take and I'm trusting the Lord with what I can't do. Um, but it's gone on for several months. And 
Um, for the past two or three months, I've really felt some progress. I've, I've uh, done stuff that I know to do. Um, all I could do. And then Monday night, I went to McCallum Monday. About two or three o'clock, I started feeling like, man, I'm not, I'm not feeling well. And it wasn't like I was sick. It was, I was, I'm not feeling well in my mind. And so I texted Beth and told her that. And I went on to McCallum Monday. Uh, it was good, but still not feeling well. And I got home and... Uh, I had a time of per, just complete paralysis, and uh, it's the the only way I know how to describe it to you is you know the scripture that says I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what it that's what it feels like for me. Uh, the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, um, and it's terrible. But I thought I had taken some steps, and, and on Monday I felt like, you know, almost like an, an addict that had relapsed. Like, man, I'd really gotten away from it. And then, bam, this happens, and I was humiliated and embarrassed and, and, and like, thinking, too, God, I, I, thought, I thought we were on our way out. You know, I thought we were on our way out, and, and it was a reminder that you're still in. Like, you still got some work to do. You still got a ways to go. And I'm telling you this because I don't know why I'm here. I really don't. I don't, I don't know why I'm in this spot right now. And I really want out. But I, I do believe that there is another side. And I do believe on the other side of whatever this is, I will be able to speak with authority to things that I couldn't three years ago. When I preach about depression and anxiety in the future, my messages will look a lot different. And I know some of y'all are walking through stuff right now. Um, and man, you just, you just want to get out. Like, I, I, don't, I don't want this. I hate this, and I want to get out. Monday night, when I was laying in the floor, that's what I was thinking. I want out. I don't want a story. I don't want to speak with, to this with authority. I don't care about that. I want out. That's the honesty of it. But with some clarity of mind and getting with Jesus, you come to an understanding that he will use this in the story. And whatever is scarring you right now, whatever is blistering you right now, that's, that's not where you're going to stay with him. And on the other side of it, you will have a new authority to expand his kingdom with. You hear me, friend? It's hard, and we want, we want out. Like, I want out right now. And I don't, I don't know, I don't understand all the things about suffering. But I know it's part of the walk of a believer. And Jesus uses suffering more than he uses blessing. 
to the point where suffering becomes a blessing. If you're in it, don't grow weary of doing good. Keep sowing to the Spirit because you will reap what you sow. And I believe there's a harvest coming. I have, a, I have some applications, but I think I'm going to leave them off. Um, did she just put them on the screen? Good job, Katie. I doubted you for a minute, but I'm just going to leave you there. Um, I'll tell you this. I, <laughs> I feel like I'm the weakest I've ever been. Jesus is holding my hand. Um, but I have absolutely no idea what I would do with this apart from him. Well, actually, I do. I probably do, and it's, it's not pretty. Suffering is a part of a believer's life because believers can cling to Jesus all the way through it. But if you're suffering apart from Jesus, friend, I don't know how you're doing it. If you want to trust him this morning, I'm going to step out in the lobby after I pray. And I want you to trust the Lord. Give your life to him. Surrender to him. You don't need to be embarrassed about that. Some people say faith is like a crutch. Man, my faith right now is like a wheelchair with somebody else pushing. I can't even walk. I'm trusting Jesus to roll me around. Um, if you want to step out there and visit about salvation, man, don't. I would. It would scare me to death to walk through this apart from Jesus. If you want him, I can help you. Or I can get somebody else that can. Maybe you're, you're walking through some stuff and, and you just need to come pray. Get somebody that's sitting next to you and bring them down and pray if you want to. Call them over to your seat. Sit down and pray. Jesus hears us in our seat too. As much as he does up here. Do whatever the Lord tells you to do. In Jesus' name. Father, we come to you. And God, I, I hope that that the end of that message didn't didn't point to anybody but you. My story's not about me. And because of who you are to me, there's no reason for anybody to look at it with pity. I have no reason to be proud of who I am or where I'm at, but I am not ashamed that you're rolling me around. Father, I pray for the people in this room or the people that may be watching online and I have no way of knowing what they may be dealing with <laughs> I can't even see past what I am right now um, 
would you go to them and convict them of what they need to be convicted of? Uh, don't, don't let them push the blame to anybody else. Don't, don't let them look to other uh, routes to cope. Let them look to you and find healing there. Don't, don't, don't let them go to the drugs. Don't let them go to the alcohol. Don't let them go to the lovers. Don't let them go uh, to, to whatever it is that, that they use to take their mind off the lostness or the pain. Push them to you. Convict them. Give them a bold desire to know you and follow you and cling to you and embrace you and trust you and be changed by you. And give them the boldness, the courage. Courage is fighting through our fear. It's doing what we know we need to do even though we're scared. Give them the courage to do whatever you tell them to do. Not what I want them to do. What you want them to do. Jesus, we confess that you are always right and that you are always good. And we confess that we rarely are either one of those things. Right or good. Our hope is in your rightness and your goodness. Help us be people of truth. Help us be people um, that are humble. Help us be people who are willing to suffer and not avoid it. Help us be people that look up one day bearing the scars of Jesus on our body or our mind or our soul. What incredible scars to bear. Our only hope can be, should be in you. That's my confession today. All you. Help us with the rest of our gathering. Help us respond to your word well. Help us respond to what your spirit has said this morning. And help us worship well. Because you deserve it. We need it and you deserve it. In Jesus' name. Amen.